Great fire. Two rack of lamb. One red snapper. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Here we go. Just a big sip of a margarita and we start the podcast. This yeah, is yeah. Like happiest sound, happiest sound. It's going to be a fun oh, one today, guys. Uh, here we are, 27th floor, beautiful Vantage Venues. Check out or get us on Instagram at Vantage Venues, all of our food content, uh, booking parties, weddings. This is normally in my spiel in the last two weeks where I go and check out my girl, Erin uh, Henderson, but <gasps> we actually don't have to at Aaron Henderson to find her on Instagram because she's here. Um, you can check me out right now. You can check her out right now. Right now. Um, I'm, checking. I I'm checking. I couldn't, check I couldn't be any happier. This was a no brainer for me. Uh, since pandemic started, me and Aaron have become uh, wine sister siblings. I'm uh, adopted into the wine sisters family. Uh, we've been you more like them. muscled your way. in. I muscled my way in and I pushed <laughs> Courtney out. So Courtney, if you're listening, shots fired. Um, She's and not listening. She, there's no way she's listening. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. zero percent chance. Zero chance. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, Aaron Henderson, our guest today. Um, super stoked. Like I said, uh, me and Aaron have become pretty good buds in the last year. We do a lot of virtual parties and stuff together. Uh, you can find me on all of her newsletters and content. You can. You've been really great. But I do have to say, as of this moment, you know who's closer to me than you right now? The person who was wearing these earbuds before me. Oh, geez. Yeah. So I gross. would like it declared and decreed that I am wearing someone else's e earbuds and I'm trying, like there's perched gently on the, uh, like the cusp of my ear. No. So uh, I'm feeling, um, I'm just going to drink. I'm drinking a margarita as we speak and um, I'm going to drink another one very quickly. You're feeling violated, right? In the earlobes? Is that what's going on? Yeah, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not throwing down whatever, or I'm not picking up whatever, whoever had this before me is throwing down. Like, I just, I just don't love it. And uh, <laughs> I just, I just don't love it. I feel like it's breaking some kind of blood brain barrier and I'm not into it. Um, okay. Just, uh, Nate, you can hear Aaron okay there? I got it. Yeah. yeah I'm right. I can hear it loud and clear. Well, I'm right beside you. I know, but I still can't hear you in the headphones. Anyway. Aaron, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Everything working out well? We just wrapped up the long weekend. Long weekend was fun. Yeah. yeah. You were busy with Southern Crown selling I out. I was busy. I was so proud of you. Oh, thank you. I was. Nate, how was your long weekend? Yeah, just, you know, doing kid stuff and uh, stoked golf is back. Got that on the, uh, on the horizon. So, yeah, man, just uh, excited to actually do this with you. You know, this is a sixth episode, right, Kyle? Six. Yeah, this is six. Six, so it's a uh, good forward motion with our little uh, project here. And uh, yeah, once you said you were on board, I was like, "This is going to be a, it's going to be a doozy. It's going to be a gem." So uh, I'm excited. Well, what yeah. what else would you say now that I'm sitting in this seat, well, right? <laughs> you couldn't say, you know, I told him to fuck off, but. <laughs> well, Aaron, he's met you once, right? And all you need to do is meet Aaron Henderson once to know what yeah. Second, time, right? it only took second. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I guess like to start, like, because this is sort of based around the food industry, why don't you just like in like your arrival into the food industry, beverage industry, um, what's the start? Like, how did it start for you? Like, as far as like 
why don't you start around like the high school, what you were interested in, what you were doing, and then sort of moving on from there. Actually, it started, it was a cold and dark evening in 1976. No, it was, uh, it actually started, my dad was in the wine industry when we were kids. And my dad, this is obviously in the 80s. And uh, he, this was in the time when uh, the only thing bigger than your shoulder pads was the oak in your wine and your expense account. So my dad, who was basically uh, sales and marketing for wine companies, he flew around the world and he took my mom with him for these grand parties. And they'd come home and they'd bring us lovely gifts, but also those are the days of the slideshows. So they'd be touring chateaus and, you know, these impossible slopes in Germany. And it became kind of a thing. And if you think about, I grew up in Guelph, Ontario. And if you think about Guelph, Ontario in the 80s, there wasn't like the butchers that we know them today, the produce markets that we had, you know, people, wine and food culture that just didn't exist in, in Ontario in those days. And so even though, you know, we were just like everyone else buying everything from the grocery store, we would have these dinners where my sister and I didn't drink wine, but my mom would pour them and pour our milk or our juice or whatever in wine glasses. My parents would have wine on the regular, um, even uh, on uh, like Friday evenings, if my mom didn't feel like cooking, so her chief job was to cook, uh, we would have clean out the fridge nights, which were basically cheese and charcuterie nights that we were my favorite. My family loved it. Uh, we just didn't know to call them cheese and charcuterie. So that's sort of where the dining wine experience sort of implanted. And then as I went through school, I knew that I wanted to work in a restaurant and I knew that I wanted to be a server because that was where the best money was made. So that wasn't, I wasn't after hospitality for the art of it. I was after it for the money of it because I had other plans. And interestingly, as I went through school and, uh, you know, serving, bartending, hosting, doing all these things, I, uh, I even washed dishes uh, just for one shift because washing dishes is the most underrated and underappreciated job in the restaurant. But um, yeah, I just, I, I just, that's where it sort of started. And that's where I always really liked it. And my dad always said to us, Hey, make sure that you're bulletproof no matter what. So he trained us on way over trained us everything from, you know, making sure that we knew how, you know, scotch was distilled to gin was distilled to how wine was made. And like, let's be honest, I was a university server at a place called silver peso and my nickname was longhorn. So really we did not need this kind of experience, but that was sort of bred into it. So that's, that was the start of, of how I got more familiar with the hospitality industry. So that's the start. So, but, so I read your bio you sent me earlier today. Uh, just so That's good. Because you never read my newsletter, even though you subscribe to it and you're often in it, but fine, moving right along. <laughs> Kyle. I know. Kyle. I, 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 she already gave me shit for it once today and I still haven't opened it yet. So, and I'm in that one. So guys, please subscribe to the Wine Sisters uh, newsletter because I'm in there. And I'm fucking awesome. Uh, Not so, really. So to say uh, at the start, you were you were, when I was reading your bios and we were talking. You said that uh, you're into theater, right? That was like one of your first, like, would you say, like true loves or oh, for sure, you were really into. So that was when you were in Guelph. Uh, so explain to me like what you loved about theater, why you liked being in it. And then maybe even like what your favorite production is either being in or something that you, that you've watched over the years. Am I allowed to talk about that? Of course you can talk about that, but I don't know if you'll know it. So one of the things, so yes. So from about zero to 21, I was actively involved in theater. I went to, um, 
theater-centric high school where I was president of the drama club. I was in community theater productions. And as I got into my older years and high school ended, I even came to Toronto to look for an agent and things like that. So I loved theater and performance was really, I went to university for theater. I forgot about that part. Um, so all performance driven. And it's funny because we can maybe talk about this later, but I truly believe the universe pushes you in the direction you're supposed to go, which may sound a bit woo-woo for people. So I apologize that all of your listeners have now logged off. But um, that performance, I think that performance background has actually really helped me now in my later years and doing everything else. So um, always on stage, some some backstage stuff, but always, so always front of house, always, whether it's restaurants or whether it's theater, always front of house. And I... Um, if you would really like to know, my very first performance that I ever saw and one that stuck with me and one that I like is called The Importance of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde. Not that that matters. And um, yeah, we see what before COVID, I probably saw upwards of, you know, four or five shows a year, sometimes one or two. It depends on whatever. So yeah, so I was, I was in theater at the very beginning. I guess that's how a lot of people end up in hospitality. Yeah, I mean, especially serving, right? Like the countless amounts of... Uh servers i've met over the years um that were only servers because they were actors yeah um i would say is like you know higher than 25 percent <laughs> um but i mean so part of the reason why i asked that question or i thought it was important to bring up the, the theater stuff was and we'll dig into it later is just because when you sort of mentioned how important it is in your job today and like i mean that's something that i think really helps you thrive but i guess we'll we'll dig into that a bit later because I don't want to get too off track because we sort of, I just brought up the high school, uh, the high school time. So um, you went to high school. Well. It's okay that I'm super drinking this margarita throughout all oh, of it. Yeah, like, no. can to, you hear me slurping away? You're probably going to have to be a little okay. bit drunk, but let's keep on this. It's a classic margarita. If people can't see it, like if this is pure audio, it, it is like, that's why you can hear the rocks. It's not a frozen one. It's a classic margarita. I'm so sorry that you're not in front of it. Nate, I would have given you one because it's, it's really quite good. Got my lime soda here. I'm good. Okay, so all right. Your select brand lime soda. Is that what I can see there? Um, well, <laughs> that's like, a little brand. That hopefully, I got a question, can. Kyle. So can can I jump in here, there, brother? Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm because you know, with my job, I I, I deal with a lot of people uh, second careers. Right? Everybody's like, oh, I'm a banker. Is it called them banker wankers back when I was working overseas? And so, uh, how was your approach to like? Where's that aha moment? To, to sound super cliche, but Explain to me, like, what, you know, you said, you know, you, you know, it, you were kind of pulled into the industry from various influences, you're working in university, your father. Well, what was like, how was the transition? Like, when were you, like, explain that to me, because I, I get so many stories of second careers, because I deal with it daily, and I'm just interested in your path. Okay, so I guess I'm going to try and nutshell this as best as possible. So we're not here for an hour and a half discussing my trajectory. But yes, so I was, uh, as as Kyle said, I was in theater from zero to 21-ish. And I was a server putting myself through school, not putting myself through school, but working to support myself. And um, I realized I loved acting. Uh, I loved it a lot, but I didn't love it enough that I was willing to bank on being a server the rest of my life. And in no way, because I did the role of server. So in no way is this a put down or a slam against people who are willing to put everything on the line and do something else to do what they have to do before they get 
to where they want to go. Uh, but for me, that wasn't the right choice. So I um, dropped out of university where I was going for theater and I moved to Banff with $300 in my pocket. So I literally showed up at the Red Lobster where I was working down the street from the University of Guelph, and which is now a vet clinic and not the, the Red Lobster, not the like university. Four lobsters and they just like, <laughs> you know, like a quick renovation. I could tell you how, I know how to tell apart women from man lobsters. I know how it rolls. Yeah. Do you? Okay. Yeah. Um, I wish this was like a show and tell. I would have well, brought a lobster. A lobster I wish we had brought a lobster. Uh, but anyway, so I went to Banff. A, f- a friend of mine was work. I was working with. She's like, hey, what are you doing next semester? I was like, man, I'm not really feeling it. She's like, you want to move to Banff? I said, sure. I had 300 bucks in my pocket. I got rid of, I was living in my own apartment and everything. Got rid of my apartment, dropped out of school. This is my parents' most proud moment of me. Moved to Banff <laughs> and I worked at uh, a place called the Inns of Banff where we had to do breakfast service, but I worked my way up. This was in the days where there was a dining room where they did uh, tableside Caesars and uh, flambés, like tableside, tableside steaks, but Great women were that. not, pardon me? <laughs> yeah, which are actually really delicious, but um they, they, they didn't allow women to work in the formal dining room, but I actually knew I was somewhat organized and um, they allowed me to be the host. So I was allowed to host and that was really quite the honor. Anyway, so after working in Banff for about six or seven or eight weeks, I was like, you know what? I can't stay here because people literally get trapped here for 40 years and they wake up and they're a ski bunny at, at 59 years old or whatever. So I went back and I decided I would go to journalism school um, close enough to acting because it's still on camera. It's still some somewhat performance driven. And I became a, I became a journalist and I worked as a journalist for nearly a decade. And then, but still that pull was always there. Like I loved entertaining. I loved having people over. By this time, my sister was a sommelier. She was working at the Fairmont Royal York. Um, And they were, she was having way more fun than I was. So uh, luckily, and this does sound terrible, but luckily I got fired from my last job. My last job was with 680 News, which is a radio station here in Toronto. And um, you know, it, it sounds so devastating. Like you always want to say things like, oh, I was downsized or I was reorged. You want to cushion it because I wasn't the one who was dumped. It was a mutual decision. It was a conscientious decoupling or whatever the hell that saying is. No, no, I got fired. They were like, see you later. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. We don't want you. Bye. And I think that was in hindsight, the universe saying to me, yeah, Aaron, you weren't having a good time anyway. Like you were probably a miserable person to work with. They, whatever you were unhappy with was probably seeping out through your pores and they did you a favor by springing you from this job that really wasn't for you. Uh, Despite all the golden golden handcuffs of half like decent enough income, it allowed me to buy my own place. Like there was a certain allure or glamour to it, which there isn't, but some people, if you're not familiar with it, think there might be. Um, so after a few like heart palpitating days, um, maybe even a couple weeks, I was like, fuck this. I'm just going to go to, I actually thought I was going to go to chef school. And then I realized that being a chef was too hard at the stage of the game. I was in my early thirties and I was really thinking about it. And I was like, you know what, to start to be a chef now, I don't have like 15 hours a day to peel onions for eight bucks an hour. Like I just don't have that. Like I've got to be a little bit more fast tracked. So I decided to go to sommelier school and then I, I worked really hard and I worked out well. And um, I have to tell you, like people were not impressed. Like it's, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a fall from grace to go from a lead reporter at Toronto's biggest stations to now working as a server on King West. Um, 
people were, were thought I was crazy. They, they literally thought I was crazy. And, um, you know, I had to do that while I was in small A school, but then I left and I got a job at a private club and I went from being the sommelier for the club to the food and beverage director. So worked out fine. That's a pretty, pretty Fantastic. Right? Is that the, um, is there, sorry, Kyle, is that the, uh, the racket club, the downtown, uh, could you tell me that club? I think it's I've the been Badminton there. and Racket Club of Toronto. So it opened in 1924. Okay. And I was brought in there. Uh, 1926 is when you Yeah, 1926 is when I started. Um, okay. But I was brought in there around 2008. And the chef and I, great chef that I worked with. And what I loved about working there, I could have stayed there forever. But we were hired to rejuvenate something that they called the bistro. So private clubs in this day and age nobody belongs to them. Country clubs, private clubs, their, their, their membership is dying out because they're too stodgy. They're too old. So they need it for the people who went to the downtown Toronto restaurants. Cause all their people, you know, traveled or worked like, like they went around the world and they, they knew their food, they knew their wine and they needed to replicate that at the club. So they brought in me, they brought in a, a chef named Graham and we really had the run of it. It was the best because they had no idea what to do. So we were able to run it as if it was our own but with somebody else's dollars, which was terrific. And we were a great team. And then the executive chef who was there, he was just a dynamo of a man who, um, you know, he served, he's an English guy who worked at the Savoy and the Royal York and he served for royalty. So he was an older guy, but super like down. And we all just had the best time and we created something amazing. And it was, it was so much fun. That would be a job I'll never be able to replicate again. It was a, it was a great time in my career. Regrets leaving? sometimes I think, you know, if I had stayed there, I could have been like, I could have been a contender. Um, no, because I was there for a couple of years. Uh, I grew from just turning this bistro into a th what we wanted. Like people brought their mistresses there. No, people brought their dates there and they went, for, they brought their like business meetings there and it was a cool place to be and people loved it. And we were, we were busy and we were jammed and it was great. And then, of course, I like I said, I moved on to being the food and beverage services manager. So I then moved on because within that club, there's three restaurants, three restaurants, and a catering division. And of course, I ran all the um, wine menus and drink menus and stuff like that. So I had to leave there not because I wanted to, but because at the time I was about thirty-two, maybe thirty-four years old. And I knew that I could stay there the rest of my life, but there was no more growth in that. I was in my comfort level. I was super happy there. And it's not that I wanted to say, I just knew I needed to learn more. I knew I needed to do more before I, I got comfortable. And so I left there and I joined a restaurant downtown Toronto uh, that probably a number of your listeners are familiar with called Canoe. And I joined their management team and uh, that's, that's where I worked. Okay. Um and the canoe experience is what everybody probably thinks it is. Like it's the big old. That's where people's eyes light up a little bit. When yeah, I'm, right. Yeah. That's, it's funny when people that, uh, that are on the fringe of the industry or aren't in the industry, um, things like saying you work at OMB, your eyes light up. And then maybe some people that have been around here that you've been at a place like that, or I've been to, I've worked at some places where I'll say I've worked and people are like, oh, ooh. and then in my head, I'm just like, yeah, it's not what, not as funny as you think. Um, which was sort of the same as what you said about the journalism, right? Like people, uh, people think, oh, whoa, you're a journalist. Like when I, 
when I'm at a party or at a wedding or something, and I meet a bunch of people I've never met before, and they go, oh, what do you do for a living? I go, oh, I'm a chef. And they go, oh, whoa, isn't that great? And it's just like, no, not, not fucking really, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what the fuck to tell you. It's like, it's not that great. <laughs> so, yeah, I know uh, that's sort of the feeling uh, I have when I hear, like, some of those big-name restaurants. You know, I've been there and slogged it. They're not as fun as you think sometimes. Right? Oh, no, they worked you hard. Like, yeah, no um, Canoe, I went there to learn. I did learn. Um, but yeah, like there was like, there's no, I mean, I don't, I I don't want to, I don't want to take away from the amazing company they've built because that definitely deserves respect and admiration for sure. No doubt. But when you're there, you're there to fucking work. And there is like, I remember closing down the restaurant and by the time the last patrons were gone, because obviously it's not the kind of place that you kick people out from. Uh, so by the time they decided to roll on out of there, it's now I do all the cash outs. I get everything like it's now five in the morning and I'm back to open the restaurant for nine. Like, like it was, it's, and I think this in general, restaurant work is not for an old broad like me. I think restaurant work is for 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 young people, it's 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 physically demanding. It's mentally exhausting, um, and I love it. But now I love it from sitting down as a patron, yeah, no and generously tipping. Um, I wanted to just backtrack a bit. I just had a question. I was actually genuinely curious about. It. Like I know quite a bit about your story because me and you sit around and talk a lot after our virtual events. And like I said, we're buddies, so we we know a bit about each other. I've never worn your headphones. Those are Seb. Seb wore those last. So. Terrific. <laughs> so, uh, Seb, we sort of. You're now inside me. <laughs> oh, Seb, Seb listens too. So, yeah, hopefully, he's not listening to this in the car with his kids. Uh, so, I meant inside my soul. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, uh, we, we sort of skipped over the high school. Thing a little bit you're really you're really keen on my high school experience no, you're gonna know why now. Oh, okay so me and Aaron have this ongoing little joke back and forth in our uh in our virtual events um because I'm uncultured and she's super bougie oh. but uh she likes to brag about how she did some high school in Germany right so I we did in Germany for a semester mm-hmm. um so I went to high school in a castle you went to high school in a castle no kidding. But to be fair, in Germany, like castles are everywhere. Like they, there was a shitty castle. No, it was a great castle. But like, I mean, they have like uh, hostels are in castle. Like everybody has a castle. Like it's no big deal. Okay, so castle in high school. But my question was, um, like, because I, <clears throat> I know from when I was in high school, and like you have different tastes when you're like different tastes from now. Like now you're super bougie. I don't know what you were like. I'm super bougie. <laughs> when when, uh, when you were a teenager in Germany. So what was like the Aaron Henderson, like high school snack or eat? Like what's a, a German thing <gasps> that you enjoyed when you were in high school? Let me tell you about it. Okay. So when I was in Germany, this thing that was awesome when I was there, and it's bizarre to me because first of all, let's say that Germany is a place that we all love to make fun of, right? Like, and I can say this, my mom's side, my whole family, like my whole mom's side of the family is German. That's why I went to, I lived in Germany, but not until you're there, do you realize what awesome people Germans actually are, but because they were the villains for so long and they have that crazy accent and often very bizarre glasses, like their eyewear is really weird. Usually um, they have like, you, you always want to make fun of the Germans, the, the Germans, right? But 
you're a fucking idiot. No, it's true. <laughs> but when I landed there, and so so despite that, actually German food is quite delicious. Mm-hmm. And but they have this. I don't even know what it is. And it was, it's so regional as are most places. If you've ever been to anywhere in Europe, it's, it's, it's not like you can say, Oh, I eat French food. Like Burgundy food is much different from Bordeaux, which is much different from Loire, uh, from Normandy. We all know this, right? There's regional specialties and same with Italy, same with Greece, same with everywhere. So when I landed, I lived in this tiny town, very tiny town called Kulmbach. And when we got there, I I'm not sure, like fair enough. I was in high school, so I haven't really investigated it since then but we landed there and sort of like the street meat which by the way is not street meat but when you the street meat that they sold for some reason it was on kind of like a kaiser bun kaiser bun looking like a hamburger bun but they had (laughs) in the kaiser bun was two very long wieners so (laughs) and it was so weird so think about like what pepperettes like you might buy at a 7-eleven like so think about that width and that length but it was in a kaiser bun so weirdly the bun like like it just didn't look right like it looked like a wheel with spokes coming out of it or something but anyway so that's how they served it and i had it every day maybe even twice a day that good just really well, it was delicious. It was cheap. It was fast. You could get it on the way to school, on the way home from school. But if you're saying, hey, what's the thing? Like, okay, there are other things, but I'm saying that's the thing that would be sort of, if I had to do my life in five dishes, that would be the defining dish of my time in Germany. Awesome. That was the answer I was looking for. Well, then why didn't you just speed me up? Because that was a very, I told you this is a lengthy conversation when we deal with me. I've never met a microphone I didn't like. I know that's why you're on here, man. That's, yeah, that's part of your story, though. Wow. Um, can I? Yeah, yeah. Can I touch on some wine stuff here? So, um, yeah, you're touch me. Touch you, yes. You because you know wine sisters, and here we are talking about two long wieners, and, and we got a little <laughs> bit off track here. So, um, so yeah. So what's? Uh, I'm a wine novice. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to fluff it up like I know what I'm talking about. But. Um, what are the what are some of the the regions that you're really passionate about? Um, upcoming regions, like I know, for example, because I, I I'm living overseas. Um, China's got a couple little spots. So if you could tell me about like regions you're passionate about, upcoming regions, and if and if China does have some legitimate wine going on there. China 100% has legitimate wine going on there. And in fact, um, if you look at where now things are shifting slightly and probably more rapidly than anybody who believes in climate change would want to believe, like things are changing rapidly, but generally speaking between the North and the South, um, the Northern and the Southern uh, hemispheres, you're looking between the 30th and the 50th parallels. So that's why we don't see wine growing in Antarctica. That's why we don't see wine growing um, or wine grapes growing on the equator. It's too hot or it's too cold. Generally, those two bands, both in the north and in the south, um, is where you're going to see the wine growing. And interestingly, China has quite a large, China's a huge country, but it has a good swath that goes between those 30 and 50th parallels. And so you actually do get some, and then because they also have a mountainous, um, because they have a mountainous landscape and they have um, like sort of when you, obviously when you get into the mountains, the climate changes a little bit. So of course, yeah, China's really coming on very, very strong um, as, as, as a real global contender for quality wines. Now being in Ontario, have I tried any? 
No, there has been some that have come through, but I've missed them for one reason or another. So I have to say quite legitimately, I haven't tried any um, Chinese wines. They are very front and center on what I would like to try when they come through. But for, for lots of reasons, I just haven't had the opportunity because Ontario has a very specific market and I haven't had the opportunity to try them. As for wines that I'm really passionate about, um, this does sound like I'm blowing smoke and that I'm sort of like sucking up a little bit, but I think Ontario, I think Ontario is a hidden gem and it's too bad because we're so small that we don't have a lot of exports. So there's not a lot of the world that's experienced it, but those who have really enjoy it. For example, I may be getting the country wrong um, because you know, as they say in journalism, you never let the facts get in the way of a good story. But I believe it's Denmark, maybe it's Norway, where Ontario is one of the top sellers uh, of wine. Um, we don't have a lot of strong export because we're just not that very big. But when people try it, they're shocked and surprised. Like in Ontario, our sparkling wines can rival that of Champagne. We have the sit. We have a very similar climate. We have a similar soil structure. Uh, we really thrive very well for the for that particular wine, but also Chardonnays, Rieslings, Pinot Noirs, Gamays, Cabernet Franc. These are delicious wines that come out of Ontario. Um, sort of taking a his, uh, like a more classical stance, Tuscany really has my heart. Like I absolutely love Italy. I I've been there a couple of times, and uh, Tuscany just blew me away for lots of reasons. And so Chianti Classicos, uh, very rare for me to poo-poo a Chianti Classico. I'm pretty much down with uh, all Sangiovese wines. Um, Sangiovese, of course, being the, the main red grape of Chianti. And of course, um, of, course, of course, of course. And then uh, Bordeaux wines, I really, really enjoy. But I think for people to enjoy wine and where I really start to love wines, even and I'd love to go to China, um, just like everyone, I had some travel plans last year and those, of course, got kiboshed. But um, the more I travel to these regions and the more I experience these regions, and it's not just the grape that's in the glass, it's the story that's behind it, which sounds like a trite sort of sales pitch, but it's, it's absolutely true. Yeah, well, just to add to that, can't... Um Hong Kong actually had a, there was actually a nice little demand. I was surprised as well for Canadian wines. Violence had a huge um, yes. presence there. Like they had these shishi grocery stores, like, uh, like McEwen's, it was called City Super. And the Canadian wine uh, was well represented there for sure. It absolutely was. So there's, you're not, you're not blowing smoke. Like, you know, it, we are slept on, but uh, you know, uh, I was pretty proud to go through these grocery stores and see the selection there because Violins, I've always enjoyed some of their stuff. And, uh, yeah. and they have a great restaurant. They have a beautiful restaurant and it's fantastic. Big time chefs come out of that place like Mark McCone and like their food program has always been top notch. They've never they've never hired a, a chef that was an ultra talented there for sure. No, no, they've invested a lot. Like, And if you go to that restaurant, that restaurant will, I don't care who you are, that restaurant will blow you away. Like it's, the setting, everything about it, fantastic. In fact, I often will say, I often, oh, this is going to be them's fighting words. I would, yeah, I'm just going to say it. Right. I would nine times out of 10, uh, if all, everything was normal, whatever normal may mean going forward, uh, I would rather have dinner in Niagara than in Toronto. I think that the service is genuine and kind and where it might um, 
lack and a little bit of polish on some occasions. It makes up for it in spades by being sincere and warm and genuine. I think that uh, food, definitely comparable, but I find a lot of the time that in in uh, bigger cities, a lot of the time you go there and you should thank them for showing up rather than, whereas in, in Niagara and in wine countries, they seem legitimately quite pleased that you're there. I probably shouldn't have said that at all. That no, should probably I, be I, cut out. I think, no, I think that that's fine. Um, Would you like some more margarita? Let's keep drinking then. I told you I brought a little extra. Okay, let's go. That's what we're doing. It's called hospitality. It is called hospitality. Okay, so last question on my end. So sticking on the wine. So what's the future? Where's wine going? Like from the the new norm, which I'm absolutely sick of hearing. Where's where's wine going? Like what's your vision in the next few years? Uh, Give me your vision. Post-COVID. Wine, food, whatever. whatever Whatever you think. Well, that's actually a really tough one. Um, I'm sort of on, I'm, I'm sort of believing it's going to be polarizing. So I think for wine, and I'm grateful for this, I think a lot of, a lot of wine, I love that consumers are getting more savvy. I absolutely love it. I love that people are being a little bit more selective. Um, but as they say, a little bit of knowledge can be a dangerous thing. And what worries me is that people get a little bit of that knowledge and then they start to create, um, they start to create biases and prejudices when they shouldn't necessarily be there. So what, what I mean by that is I'm happy that everyone's feeling like, oh, I feel like I now can show up to a restaurant and I can order and I can be fluent in what I want to order and I know what I'm talking about. But I, so I'm, I'm grateful for that, but I just don't want people then to think that whatever they've learned or picked up along the way has then somehow made them somehow superior to everyone else. Cause that's the worst. So when, when I became a sommelier, which I mean, arguably that wasn't that long ago it was 2008 when I got my papers. So what is that? Four, Thirteen years. Thir- thanks, man. Thanks. Thirteen years ago, um, there were still people who were very snotty and made people feel bad about themselves because they didn't know the difference between a Chardonnay and a Sauvignon Blanc. And there's no place for that anymore. This is a this is a time to really um, have a conversation. And wine is what brings people together. So I'm happy to see that people are now like, yeah, let's pour wine into a glass and sit around a table and appreciate it and love it, but really enjoy the the family camaraderie that it brings. That's what I think. Um, But what's worrying me a little bit is where, and I even hesitate to say, I'm going to get in so much trouble. No one's going to listen to this anyway. Don't worry, Aaron. It's just us three. Okay. Yeah. But where, what worries me a little bit is where we, we start to see, and I'm divided on this because where you start to see people, um, like the, the sort of influencer sphere where you see like chicks in bikinis, like like saying drink the Chardonnay because it's super great. And they should. Everyone has a right to their opinion and everyone has a taste bud and everyone can 100% say this is something that I enjoyed, whether it's a movie, whether it's a hamburger, whether it's a glass of wine, whether it's a car, doesn't matter. 
they, but I, where I'm worried is that the things that are beautiful about hospitality, food, wine, the things that draw us to this experience, the things that draw us to work in this industry or draw us to go and celebrate something momentous at a restaurant is because someone's been able to put some care and some expertise into what you're about to experience and enjoy. And to dumb it down so much as to be like, here I am sitting, you know, sitting on a beach with my legs provocatively splayed and and perhaps the wine bottle, you know, nestled between my bosom. Uh, like, I just, I just don't love where that's going. And so while I do want to say, hey, everyone's welcome in this sphere, I, I really have to honestly say I'm, I'm, I'm getting, uh, it, it bugs me a bit when people do the, um, like the, the bullshit influencing, it really bugs me a little bit. So powerful tool, unfortunately, what influencers, uh, you know, a couple of words, a couple of photos can really uh, be impactful. And, and you're absolutely right there. It's a, it's a slippery slope, 100%. Um, and it even sounds like you mentioned too, like, and I think, Nate, you can probably agree with this. Uh, like when the Food Network first started and got mm -hmm. really popular, what that did to the culinary industry were now people were coming into restaurants thinking that they knew more than the chefs and uh, and like, you know what I mean? Nate? Remember when, when the first, like when the food network buzz just started kicking and it it's just, still there Oh yeah, it is where people there. only become chefs so they can become the next food network star. They don't, the, the re, like, as I said earlier, when I said, Hey, I don't, Hey, when I said, Hey, um, <laughs> you know, I, I purposely, when I was thinking, should I leave reporting? Should, should I repeat, re, leave journalism and either what route do I want to go? And I decided not to go the chef route because I knew that I knew how long and how hard and how literally sweaty uh, for really bullshit pay. Um, and I just couldn't do that. So yeah, that's all accurate. Yeah, so I, that's why I decided to go the sommelier route. I love them both equally, but that was sort of the deciding factor. And and when you see these sort of, I'm just going to be a Food Network star. Well, terrific! Like more power to you, bro. Um, but I hope you can cook. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. That yeah, that's how I think too. To be honest, a lot of them can't. I've seen it firsthand, and it's pretty sad. It really is. To yeah. be on to follow that up, Nate. Like. Uh, not to derail your questions, but so I, I do legitimately love cooking. Um, I teach wine at George Brown on a part-time basis, but that means that I get some pretty cool. Well, I don't get really get that many perks, but one of the perks is to take classes for extraordinarily cheap. So I take chef's classes there. And right now I'm in the French cooking class. And, <laughs> and so even though um, I've made, uh, Gougier, or I guess everybody knows what that is. So I've made Gougier cheese puffs, shoe paste, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. I've made that for a really long time. I, uh, since we went to France and, and we really enjoy it, but I decided that I'm going to do everything the way that the recipes are laid out by the course. So even though I have my own recipe for shoe paste for, even though the own, I, I was like, you know what? No, nope, I'm going to do it exactly the way that it's been described to me, the way it's been, the way that the instructor wants it done, because I don't want to be that guy that comes in and is like, ah, fuck you. I already did this. Like I did this in Burgundy. So I don't need to, like, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. So I'm going to do it the exact way that you tell me to do it. And I really hope that I'm going to learn something. Is that working for you? Yeah. I think it's a, to have an open mind and an open heart works better for me than to be somebody who thinks I'm better than you. Yeah. That's, that's good. That's a good way to be. It's well, going to be, it's going to be amazing when you take that Japanese course in nature teacher, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Is you teach, um, do you do you teach the Japanese like all the Asian food? She's stuff? taking stuff probably in Con Ed at night. I don't teach there, but um, Aaron, you should take the bread making course, Chef Thor. Absolutely. My sister's yeah. taking that. My sister's taking, and she loves that guy. People are like uh, my colleagues are taking that course just just because he's so awesome. So my um, sister is his stalker. Is his his Thor stalker? He's a killer though. He's so talented, such a good guy. He plays golf. So every time like. Someone mentions Con Ed. He's the megastar of the Con to continue education. So maybe you should, uh, I mean, you can maybe bootleg some of your sister's stuff. But Oh, my sister is killer. Yeah. Well, she's, how do you recommend Chef Thor? He's, a, he's, he's phenomenal. No, she loves him. And yeah. he's also German. Um, yeah. But we, I think my instructor for, my instructor was supposed to be for French cooking, a guy named Jean-Jacques, I think. But he got called away to the Food Network because he also works there to do... What, so he anyway. He got called away to the front in Burgundy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's been enlisted. So anyway, but he that was a World War One joke for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, no, I I actually think to to be fair to George Brown, everything's online right now, um, and Con Ed won't be going back till twenty twenty two, but they're doing a spectacular job. I'm they I'm are, really enjoying it. There. They're absolutely killing it for people who've got a little extra income sitting around. Uh, you know, after dinner in the evening time or whatever, they, they, they've done a fantastic job on con- converting or transitioning to online. And uh, it's great. They've, they've been doing really well. And I'm proud of that department. They've killed it. Yeah. No. Um, I'm interested. So one thing that always impresses me about you, other than the, everything, other than, other than <laughs> fucking everything, other than the on-camera stuff and just being so comfortable and like, honestly, something that you've really helped me out with, you know, I started this pandemic not really being uh, on camera, uh, comfortable in front of the camera type of guy, but, you know, it's sort of part of my weekly life now advantage and a large part of me growing into that is, you know, learning from you and getting to work with you because, you know, it's so comfy and you make it easy and you've taught me a bunch of stuff. But other than the on camera stuff, the one thing that I'm really, really impressed with and I have been is the palette. You have a fucking crazy palate, Aaron, and I'm always impressed uh, when you're explaining wines to people and you're tasting wines um, and when you're smelling them at, at first and I'm smelling them too and I'm picking up some stuff and then you're going on and on. and as Going saying, on and on. That's your thing though. Uh, yeah. And as you're saying it, I'm now picking it up. I'm like, holy shit, she's right. It does fucking smell like that. And then you're tasting it and you're like, holy fuck, it does taste like the forest floor. And like you're licking the back of a cigar and like all this weird stuff. But it's really impressive how well-rounded your palate is. Um, like, I think once you, when you were doing a staff thing and you brought up, and if you were to taste this like this, it tastes exactly like when you you smell after you first uh, freshly burn a creme brulee. And I'm like, holy fuck, that's exactly what that tastes like. You know what I mean? I was just like, how the, like, where did she come up with this shit? Um, how do you come up with that shit? Like, what's sommelier school? Like, what's the training? Like, how did you get to be like that? Or is that something that, you've always kind of had and you were able to de- just help develop through being a sommelier? No. So I'll tell you about being sommelier school. So I went to CAPS, uh, which is the Canadian Association, Canadian Association of Professional Sommeliers. And um, what it was at the time, and I, I think it's still the same, but it was a year-long class and you needed to do a 40-hour stage. And of course, everyone who's listening knows what a stage is, but just in case there's uh, some people who don't, a stage is just a fancy word for an apprenticeship. Or like free labor. Yeah. 
Um, I did a year long stage. So I was able to get a job uh, working as a server plus an assistant sommelier at a restaurant on King West. So I was paid. So I was fine, but it was still counted as my stage. But anyway, so I did part of our course. I like to think it was six months, but I bet you it, was, it wasn't that long because the whole course was only a year. So it was but it was the bulk of what we did. And it was, and this is what I think chefs should do as well. Uh, and maybe they do, but um, it was, God, again, it had to be like, it was the bulk of our course and it was called sensory development. And so every week we went in and we did um, 10 to 15. And I encourage this to everybody who wants to increase their palate, chefs, sommeliers, people who just want to be, have a better palate. Um, they, they, we, we would uh, smell things that were covered up so you couldn't see what they were, but you had to smell them and it would drive you crazy. You'd be like, oh my God, I know what that smell is. I know what that is. And then they'd be like, and then at the, when it was revealed, it was an orange or something. And you're like, oh my God, of course it was an orange. But, um, and then we also had to like make food, try food, uh, food would be brought in. And I've heard, and I don't know if this is just maybe a porno fantasy, but in certain chef schools, like you blindfold, what you blindfold your uh, people and then they get fed stuff. And then they're like, it's like a hot dog. And they're like, Oh, this is pate. But you're, you're because you eat and you drink so much with your eyes that you, you, that's how you do it. So for the sensory development, what's really cool is that you take away that sense and you just have to completely focus. So when I was in school, and at the time there was somebody who was living with me. So we would do groceries together and it would take me like three hours to do groceries because I'd be smelling every fruit. So I was the, like, I'm no longer allowed in Loblaws because like, but anyway, so I remember one day we went out and I spent like $75 on exotic fruits. Cause I didn't know what a dragon fruit was. I didn't know what a star fruit was so on and so forth. So we bought all of them and I tried them and I smelled them and then you cook them and then you smell them out. So I would constantly, and I still do this to this day that I smell everything, which makes people a bit weirded out where they're, you know, they're like, why are you smelling that? But you know, as you guys would know for sure, you cut into a green pepper, a raw green pepper smells much different than a sauteed green pepper. Um, like, so these are the things that I'm constantly smelling and then putting them into sort of my smell memory, if that makes sense. So it's, it's always an ongoing training. And one of the things that I think the sommelier industry should have, perhaps maybe even the chef industry, just like accountants, doctors, and other professions is maybe you're required that every year you need to have an upgrade in your credentials to prove that you still know what you're doing and you still warrant that title. That's interesting. There's a lot of people I would love to call over right now to go take that test, but we can save that for another day. Um, okay. So I just wanted to add the good, that's a good thing with the, with staging because that term gets thrown around really loosely. So you committed to it. Uh, you committed to the education and, and, and I just, I get pissed off where like, Oh, I staged here. And I'm like, well, how, how long did you do that? Oh, I staged for, you know, two days. No, well, you did two, two days at a three mission star restaurant. You didn't do anything. You stood around getting, you know, get the fuck out of the way sort of deal. So it's admirable. Yeah. And when people throw that term around loosely, I mean, I call them out on it because it's like, you know, if you didn't do a week, two weeks, a month, like Al Bully, when it's in his day, you couldn't, you had to like sign up for months on end. It was like in a contract, you're working for free for X amount of months and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. So good for you because I just get pissed off because that term gets thrown around so loosely because it's just, well, yeah, it's, I, it's, mm -hmm. that's a real thing, Nate. People like to talk about stages and um, where they've been and what stages they've done. Like I'm planning a stage right now for when after a pandemic's done yeah. um, and I can travel a little bit. And uh, 
I mean, I'm, I'm earmarking a month, you know, like I that's, it. that's a, that's a pure educational experience. That's what a stage is all about, man. Not a couple of days. That's right. And like, I have a, a month marked and I have it sort of starting to get worked out. I've put out the first emails for it and, you know, in, in a part of that month, I'm going to, I hopefully, uh, if my pocketbook's willing, my family can meet me there and we can take a week's vacation out of that month. But for at least the three weeks, let's, you know, head down. You're doing that stage. You're learning from the people that you're going there to learn from. People you admire, right? Yeah, man, do that. Yeah. That's, that's phenomenal. Yeah. So um, that's great that you did it. Like, lucky, luckily, you got paid as well. Yes, that made things much easier. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because, like, if you had to do the stage plus strip to get by, that would have been horrible for you, right? <sighs> well, not so bad. We would have made it work. Yeah, yeah we make it work. Sandy Asheville. <laughs> Dusty. Dusty Asheville. Yeah, that's, that's, want- that's Aaron's stripper name. Sorry. Uh, so did you tell everybody? No, because so it's we annoying doing, to have inside yeah, jokes. We were doing an Instagram Live last week, and uh, it actually sort of goes into what I was just talking about, Aaron and her crazy palate and the way she describes things. Um, and she's like, it'll remind you of a dusty asphalt. And I turned and looked at her and said, dusty asphalt, that's a new one. And then she said, actually, that was my, or in high school or in college, that was my stripper's name, right? I just said, that's my stripper name. Stripper I didn't name. say in college. You almost made me spit on myself. You spit on yourself. Okay, perfect. <laughs> that's uh, my stripper name. So dusty asphalt. Uh, you can follow Aaron Henderson at underscore. Dusty but you know, I think what's really important. And I think what we like speaking about all of these palettes and speaking about taste and hopefully like, I would really hope that the people who are listening feel the same is that you want this industry to be, this is why you're doing this podcast, right? People want to have an inside glimpse to what a chef's life is or what working. Cause everyone has the fantasy. I'm going to open up the B and B or I'm going to open up that little cafe, or I'm going to retire and open up a winery or a restaurant, you know, but it's always something in the hospitality industry because there's an allure because there's a romance. And where I think a lot of um, hospitality workers, front of house, back of house, wherever, is you've lost the sense of actual true hospitality, but you've lost the and I'm sorry, obviously saying the general you, obviously not you guys, but like where I think is really cool. I listened to another great podcast, not as good as this one, but close. And they were talking about, do you guys know the name Alan Ducasse? Yep. Of course. And so, um, that's and apparently that's, that's a popular one. Well, and apparently his, this guy's palate was out of control. Like he could tell whether a butter was hand churned or done in a robo coop. Uh, he could tell if it had rained like, so, so, and this was uh, another chef speaking on this podcast and talking about his interaction, his, his in very, very, um, impressive interaction with Alan Ducasse and, and how impressive this guy's palate was. And, and so speaking, like touching on earlier about things like influencers or whatever the case might be, there is some, like, yes, we can make this a, as accessible and as easy as possible to be in this industry or to be a great home entertainer, a home cook, a home hostess, whatever. But there, the pride of it and the beauty of it is, is that there is some work. That there, it, 
that it does take a little bit of effort to hand churn a group, which it does because my arm is actually sore, like hand churning like a shoe paste or understanding what grapes go into Bordeaux or understanding why certain wines go into oak or certain wines go into stainless steel. There's a beauty in putting in that effort because nothing that's worth it truly to, you know, use that Tony Robbins kind of like bullshit cliche phrase, but like nothing that's worth it is ever comes easy. And so until you put in that grind and until you put in, and it doesn't have to be like Gordon Ramsay screaming at you and making you cry in a corner. That's not what I'm suggesting. But until you actually put in a little bit of work, a little bit of effort to figure out how does great barbecue get made? How can you, um, how do, how do you sear a tuna without heat? Like how do these things actually work? that's when you're like, fuck yeah, now, now I'm part of that. Now I'm part of that upper echelon or, or I'm getting, I'm climbing that hill at the very least. And that's where some of that pride is. That's where, that's where you can start to take pride. I think. Okay. This is All right. about time where I, I hit the random questions here. I think I got a couple for you. Uh, so Let's uh, let's get ready for some random Aaron questions here. Oh, this is going to be this is going to be explosive. Random Aaron. Uh, <laughs> random Aaron. It has such a nice ring. Love it does. It. it sounds great. It was my name in high. It's my stripper name. Yeah. <laughs> um. No food. No wine. Nothing. Uh, no beverages. Like nothing. Restaurant industry style. What's the one thing that gives Aaron Henderson comfort? What's one thing that you look forward to um, if you're having a bad day or something that just brings you comfort? Like what's something that you look forward to that isn't drinking food related or travel related? Cause I know that that's like what makes up Aaron Henderson a large part of it. But like, what do you, like what's a, a an Aaron Henderson activity that you find comfort in or something that you love to do? Oh, without not, food, without, without wine. Food, without wine, without travel. Without food, without wine, without travel. Yeah. Um, I knew I get you. Yeah, you did. I would have to say without food. See, this is why I need to be a better person. I need to have more interest in my life. I'm taking up um, stand-up paddleboarding this summer just so I can be a little bit more interesting. But I would have to say something that brings me comfort if I'm having a really shitty day and I have no other obligations, like whatever. Uh, I love my home. I love being at home. I'm out, a well, Previous to COVID, I was out a lot uh, for work and that's, but I love being at home and the comfort of my home. Okay. I, that, that, that's, that counts. That, that's good. Does that count? That counts. Like, what were you hoping for? I have no idea. I was hoping oh. for something I never knew about you. Like going for a roller skate. No. Or like, what? Well, yeah, roller skate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I don't know. I got, uh, I got not, I told, I, I used to have a pet, but she died. So. Well, that morbid. Um, so. Well. It, so I, got, I don't know if this would be considered a random question. Actually, Nate, do you have any randoms for Aaron? Or? No, well, yeah, like I'm a big movie buff. I worked in a theater in high school. You've got a theater background. Um, I always, I'm intrigued by people's like, you know, they're one of their favorite films, adult film, if you will. No, just kidding. You don't, you don't have to adult film. <laughs> yeah, um, dishes. Yeah. <laughs> like Ron Jeremy's debut or something. No, just kidding. But um, my favorite film's Apocalypse Now. I, I as I grew older, I fell in love with it. So I finally like the light bulb went off. And when I was, you know, well into my thirties, I'm like, yeah, that's the best film to me ever. And so what's your most favorite? What's, what's, what's the one that 
pops into your mind and Kyle I'd be interested to hear what yours is as well probably something redneckish like Bob and Doug's uh, great adventure or something like that but uh, you gotta be hurtful like that for oh no okay uh, uh Aaron, please okay so I have a, so again just like when people ask me what's your favorite wine or what's your favorite yeah, food yeah, I can't pick a favorite food. because that's yeah. just too difficult but I'll yeah. say for di- so, so I'll give you a couple for different genres okay. like my favorite of all time feel good make me happy you know when Harry met Sally, that also has some of the best lines in the yeah. world, right? I so when, that was your answer because we did this before once when we were drunk, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. See, I don't even remember. Yeah. But I think that impactful movies that stayed with me, what made me like really think, uh, a beautiful mind. That's the movie with Russell Crowe where he was mm-hmm. um, uh, he played uh, Nash. What's his, uh, the the mathematician? Yeah. Um, I thought that was just such a terrific Incredible. movie. Incredible. Incredible. Movie. Uh, I remember in high school seeing Schindler's List and I remember leaving the, like, cause we had to see it in history class or something. And I remember leaving the classroom and being like absolutely disturbed and devastated and upset. And another, another teacher sort of ran into me in the hall who knew me to be an upbeat kind of, and he's like, Whoa, shit, what happened to you? Uh, and I was like, shit, I just saw it. Like, it was just such a, it was such an impactful movie that it stayed with me that way. Um, I would have to say, from childhood, Goonies. I've seen that movie without doubt 87 times. Yeah. And it just came on a couple years, a couple months ago, uh, like on AMC or something. And I watched it again. I will commercials. with commercials. I will. Yeah. I'm there for the Goonies. Yeah. Uh, Stand by me was a great one. So uh, see, this one. is terrible. This is becoming like a, not an awesome conversation where I say something insightful and super intelligent. This is just me listing off great movies. Kyle. Um, you know, Aaron, a, a Beautiful Mind is a really good one. That's, I think, yeah. I think when, because I was youngish when that came out, I think that might be one of the first movies that ever, like, blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, Russell Crowe is just, and I don't even know if I'm necessarily the biggest Russell Crowe fan. I like him just fine, but his performance in that was amazing. Uh, a Clockwork Orange, I like. Uh, that's a... Oh, I almost looked like Clockwork Orange once when I couldn't oh, get yeah. my other eyelash on. Wow, was I, was I wrong? Clockwork Orange, Kyle, wow. That's, yeah. that's impressive. Um, and then, like, I'm a huge, huge Tarantino fan. Nate, you know me pretty well. Like, I'm a pretty big fan of like all the, all those like crimes, uh, crime movies. I'm a big Guy Ritchie fan. All those movies. Okay. He makes stupid movies, hey. Guy Ritchie. Like, you just don't even oh. know what the hell's going on. No, you don't know what's going on. Oh, okay. <laughs> Kyle knows what's going on in Guy Ritchie. Kyle's got it. Yeah, I know what's up. Uh, so yeah, like I like those are my type of movies. Like. Like Aaron said, I have a few movies that no matter when they're on, even though I have the DVD in the basement, I'll, I'll sit there and watch them with commercials for three and a half hours <laughs> yeah. or whatever, like, you know, movies like Pulp Fiction and stuff like that. Those are the type of movies that, that do that for me. Um, you know what I'll say? I'll do one more just to not bore anybody. Yeah. Um, but I've started rewatching old movies, which isn't something I do, or movies that I've seen before, which isn't something I've, I do. And I just watched, I rewatched Goodwill Hunting about a month ago. And, oh, yeah. And Robin Williams is a was a fucking yeah. special actor, man. Like, all right, all right, Peter Robin Williams. He's a, yeah. he was a special guy. Uh, yes. and that, that, that was a tight movie. So yeah, that's just top of mind. Right. And last one plug is it the Green Book? Is that the the? I just watched that, and that one blew my blew the head off my shoulders. The Green Book is that the one? The Green Mile. No, no, it's, it's the the Green Book. It was about the the pianist guy from New York, and he goes down south on a tour. Oh, the Green Book. I, I don't know that one. 
Phenomenal. Nate's dropping, did well. Nate's dropping knowledge on us right That's now. some intellectual stuff happening. Really, really good. If it's on Netflix, it's absolutely phenomenal. So check, peep that. Anyways, Kyle, let's get some randos. Let's let's pull the uh, something awesome out of Aaron here. Let's get, throw okay. the in there. <laughs> pull something ah, awesome yes. out of me. Aaron, <laughs> come on. Hey, you're going to have to really work on your phrasing when Aaron's... I'm, well, she's... I don't know, my bad. No, I'm excited to see what you pull out of me. So... <laughs> Um, so I don't think I have any more randoms. Aaron's a hard one for randoms. That's what I had yeah. a hard time. I am. I am a hard one for randoms. Yeah. Jesus Christ, Aaron. What? 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 Me? <laughs> so what's the, what's the project that nobody knows about coming from Aaron Henderson? You got something in the works? You got a dream? A plug time. We're going to pull plugs out of you. There you go. We're plug. It's time to plug, plug in. in some stuff. You well, know what? I, I, before oh, the plugs, because I, I already know what she's going to plug, but I want to... Do you got anything in the works? You got any ideas? I know you've in passing mentioned some stuff to me. You got any dreams? Well, I've got loads of dreams and I've got uh, cocktails and dreams. I've got, um, where's that from? Uh, Tom Cruise. Okay. So I've got, uh, I do have some things that I'm toying with. COVID, just like with everybody, it uh, made me really reconsider my business and not reconsider it as in, should I continue to do it, but just try and figure out how do we move forward from here? Because obviously it's made me very reflective. So um, I have some thoughts about how can we be more relevant, more viable, um, how, how do I continue? My responsibility is that I own a business and I need to grow that business. And um, I, I'm not at liberty. Like these are all just sort of like napkin, like drawings on a napkins right now. Um, but so they're not anything I'm at liberty to say, just ideas that I'm toying with while we continue to explore ways to make things bigger, better, and more viable. So what she's trying to say is that Erin, um, she's not going to announce it, but I will. Will be the new Somali at Southern Crown. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, um, yeah, no, I don't think we're gonna have a Somali there. Um, okay, a bit of a random, I guess, is um, when am I coming over to the Henderson household, and am I being announced as the the third wine sister? Like that is that in the like words? a debutante ball? Yeah, like a ball to yeah. announce me as a wine sister because like I'm in at least what twenty five to thirty percent of the newsletters now. Uh, me and you are doing shows all the time. I'm on the YouTube channel. I'm on the Instagram lives. Uh, when am I either joining the Wine Sisters or are we kicking Courtney out of the group? What are we doing here? Well, Courtney does actually. Courtney has a smoker. She has a Traeger. Okay. And that's so a, that's the pellet Traeger, that's she's right. got the pellet Traeger and she's like, Kyle should just come over and cook for us so we can sit around and drink and he'll just make us food. That doesn't sound like a win for me though. Oh, I thought it did. <laughs> so so no plans like your 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 parents we, know about me yet like that i'm gonna be one of their siblings like yeah, their, their wine siblings. i will make that uh i'm gonna priority? i'm gonna make that a priority i'm gonna put that on the agenda the wine siblings i like that that's got a good ring to it so let me uh, before we wrap this up let me turn the tables on you guys if you don't mind because i know we're running out of time and probably boring people to death but uh, Nate, knowing how you deal with young chefs, up and coming chefs, before yeah. wine wasn't really integral to a lot of chefing. Um, but now you see more and more chefs. Some chefs are like, holy Moses, like their sellers are outstanding. They, they could be sommeliers within their own right. Where do you see, I'd love to be curious, I'd love to know from you guys, where do you see A, um, 
chefs now expanding their repertoire into the beverage scene? And B, how do you see moving forward, especially in these, this era of Me Too, BLM, uh, but also like on a, on a much smaller scale, just don't, don't be a dick. Um, where do you see the relationships between front of house and, and back of house moving forward? Okay, I, I, I'll go. Uh, that's actually, that's a great question. I see the, um, from, I've seen it firsthand, some students, um, you know, the marijuana movement, the legalization of that's changed the game a lot. Uh, I see the students, you know, forget about just getting high and, and watching, binge watching Netflix, you know, they're, they're actually really learning how to cook with it. And uh, a group that, 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 that I've taught in the past, they're moving on doing uh, like cocktails, dope cocktails, if you will. So they've sort of migrated from the food component of it and then bringing in the cocktail component of it as well. So they're making their own elixirs, if you will, and uh, doing cocktails, like throwing events where they're throwing down food, obviously with, with the precise dosages, <laughs> uh, with the food and, and then the, the cocktails to go with it. So that's just one thing that I've seen and, and I, I'm, I'm proud of that movement and, and, and to see students thinking outside the box where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to go do my apprentice at the Royal York. I'm going to, you know, climb the, the ranks there, maybe be a sous chef. And then, you know, well, you know, that, that's like, that's not, that, those aspirations are few and far between now. And COVID's really changed that a lot as well. So I think the positive thing uh, of COVID is people have really had to think outside of the box. I've seen it firsthand, uh, some of these, uh, the ideas that the students are coming up with. Um, a guest that we had on here, Kyle's a huge fan now, uh, this just, just a former student, student Memphis Hot Chicken, Chen, he's killing it. So um, I just think, you know, forward thinking, uh, thinking something new. And, and I think the, 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 the marijuana movement uh, on the food component of it, 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 it it's going to explode uh, here shortly. And uh, I'm excited to see that, you know, because, you know, I dabbled in the wacky tobacco occasionally. Don't tell anybody, okay, please. Have a uh, so we'll, yeah, and you can't tell. Just to add to that. And yeah, yeah, shout outs to Chen Chen. Uh, we're at Southern Crown. We were lucky enough for Chen to come by and bless us with some of his... Uh, uh, his algorithm knowledge with the with the apps and he uh, he showed up on opening uh, opening day to support grab some food uh, show a support uh, give me and uh, give me and my my really good friend slash uh, she's doing some general managing for us at Southern Crown uh, Asia it just come up now in a couple straight podcasts but uh, um, he came by with his girlfriend Sarah both really awesome people um, so shout out to Chen Chen Min uh, really solid dude. Um, but the question about front of the house and how uh, don't be a dick, the BLM, that whole thing. Um, Which are very separate things. Very separate things, for sure. Uh, don't be a dick. You said it, right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter what you look like or what color you are or whatever it is, what sex you are. Um, there's always There should be a place for you in the restaurant industry and you should be feeling comfortable the whole time you're there. Um, it shouldn't be around certain select groups of people. It shouldn't be around... Uh, you shouldn't be on eggshells around certain chefs because they, they can talk and act however they want. Um, and then just as far as back of the house in front of the house, uh, I think like old school, uh, we were bred to and learned that uh, you're supposed to be enemies. And um, some of my best friends are servers. My wife is a fucking server. Um, 
treat people with respect, they treat you with respect. Like uh, that whole front first back thing, there's no place for that in the restaurant industry. And there, there, never, there never should have been. And um, that needs to be taken out of people uh, right away. Um, I think that a lot of that though stems from the tip system. So we're, it'll be interesting to see how that sort of shakes down as, as more and more restaurants, um, as more and more restaurants get do away with the tipping system. Um, that's, that'll be interesting to see. And hopefully you guys are not just going straight to tape. Hopefully there's going to be some editing, but um, what do you guys think now of all the movements? 11 Madison, obviously moving towards a, a plant-based only menu. Uh, Epicurious. I don't know if you've talked about this before, but Epicurious saying they're not going to put out any new beef recipes. It's fucking ballsy. Ballsy. I love I, it. I, I respect it. Um, especially at the Mat- uh, Madison, uh, like, they're charging a lot of money for food with no meat-based proteins. Uh, that chef's got, uh, he's got some balls doing that and I hope it works out for him, man. I respect it. I, I, I respect it. Like I, I would have a hard time doing that as a chef um, and being confident in what I'm putting out, at least right now with, with my knowledge of uh, like vegetable first cooking. Like I can do a bit, but it definitely isn't my strong suit. I just opened a smokehouse. So, I mean, I think yeah. it's easy to tell. You're the uh, edge, Kyle. Yeah. Um, so, man, I, I I respect it. Like, I have nothing but respect for it. And especially because he's doing it because he says about the sustainability of yeah, animals. Right. And like, and also just like, especially with beef, like how bad it is for. Yeah, horrendous. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I I respect it. Like, I can get behind it. I mean, uh-huh. I I wish I could be a vegetarian. I guess it's hard. Yep. It's hard. It's hard for me. So yeah, like I, I, I was, I, you think you were the first person that told me about it. And then I looked at, I looked into it the next day and like, anyway. and then I was right. Well, <laughs> you're always right. Aren't you? I am always right. So if there was no more wine, like wine was to just disappear, what's the drink? Like, what's the, what's the move? If, if you, what, what, what would be your thing? What's, what's, oh, I'm, I'm cool with cocktails. Like I brought no, in, I know, but what's the one, like, the one cocktail. Oh, there's not. Like I. No, no, that's the question I'm asking: is if there was just one, what's the one that you would feel comfortable with? The one that you like the most that you know you could drink forever and just be happy. With? Oh yeah, but that's like asking you what would you eat forever. But like, I mean that. But that is the question: what would I eat forever? And I already have the answer. What would you eat forever? Okay. What would you eat forever? Oh, he's gone. You would eat so, ramen. Ramen. Oh, oh yeah, ramen. Ramen. Yeah, hands down. Yeah. Just playing with my dog. Um, <laughs> You're really playing with your dog? <laughs> is that a euphemism? Yeah. No, I'm really no. playing with Yeah, you know, it's a euphemism. Uh, I guess I would have to say... Oh, shit. I guess I would have to say I would do a cocktail and I would do a... I was prone to say a whiskey sour because in the, the winter time, I'm often drinking a Manhattan. And in the summer, I'm usually doing some kind of gin and tonic or gimlet kind of situation. Um, and so there's like, well, I'll just combine them and I'll make a whiskey smash. But now I'm thinking probably, okay. At Aaron, this moment in time, I'm going to go with a white lady. A white lady. Can you explain to me what that is? Because I have no idea. Oh, it's a super cool cocktail. It dates back to the Savoy in the early 1900s uh, and the Savoy, which is the longest running cocktail bar. Anyway, it's, it's, it's had its ebbs and flows throughout cocktail history, but the current incarnation and the way it's been for the last number of decades or years is that you do an absinthe rinse on your coupe 
So you just pour a little bit of absinthe and you swirl it around. So you get like a nice little film of absinthe on your glass. And then in a shaker, you add lemon juice, Cointreau, Lillette Blanc, which is a fortified wine from France and uh, gin, equal parts. And then you strain that into the coupe and that's what you drink. And it's really, really good. Wow. My, my answer to that drink is, um, and I think I've screenshot it and sent it to you before. Sometimes when I describe air to people, one of the descriptions I use is classy bitch. And that's exactly <laughs> what that drink, that's exactly what that drink is. Like you just pick the most classy thing you can think of. <laughs> so congratulations. So she's like, well, it dates back to the 17th. It's like, yeah, I fucking know it dates back. To the <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I fucking knew that that's what it was going to do. Um, hmm? I said school's in. So I got one last question for you before I'm going to ask you for your plugs. Um, yeah, you want them because they're delish. They're really warm. Like those earplugs. These earplugs are really warm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the, in the Canadian LCBO or Ontario LCBO, I guess, what's the best cheap bottle of wine that you would feel comfortable uh, like bigging up? And what's the best expensive bottle of wine? Oh, God, that's ridiculous. That's so ridiculous. I'm asking your opinion, what you would recommend. If someone was going to spend a ridiculous amount of money, what wine would it be? And if somebody was going on the super cheap, what wine would it be? Okay, so if you're super cheap, I'm going to say for reds, I'm going to say there's a lovely little coiffer called Marius. Uh, that's in the French section. And it's uh, often on sale for 12 bucks. Sometimes if it's not on sale, I think it's around 14 bucks. And that's a Grenache Syrah blend. And uh, it's really cool. If you go onto the website, what I love about it. So it's by a classic winemaker named Chapoutier, Michel Chapoutier, Michel being the French man's name for Mich Michael. Uh, there are a couple of generations deep. And if you go to the Rhone, you'll see his name embedded into the, the sweeping vineyards of the Rhone. So very, very well-known, established, pedigreed winemaking family. And they have this, uh, oh, I, this one popped out of my head. My earbud just popped out of my head because it's being rejected by my body. But um, <laughs> it's rejected. <laughs> just, it doesn't want it. It doesn't like these used earbuds, but um, they have this very entry level wine, Marius at 12 bucks, but what's not, it's delicious. It's juicy. It's easy going. Um, what's really cool though. Google it, go to the Marius web. I don't know what it is, but like go to the Marius website. You'll find it. Marius is named out of after Michelle Chapoutier's grandfather. It reads like a blue movie. Like it's like soft core porn. And I'm like, no, really? I just wanted to find out about the wine. Like I legit just wanted like to get like what you call a text sheet about how the wine is made. And it's like, it's actually beautifully written. It's about like Marius's tryst during the Paris World Fair, which I think was in 1926 and the curvature lines of a woman he just met but just took to bed like it's and you're googling it now aren't you like Nate's like I've got to be but anyway it well, I wrote it down I'm gonna buy that wine for sure yeah, but but it. like if you go to the website and you want to find out any information about the wine good luck to you but you will find out about Marius's uh romps through gay Paris right like it'll be uh it's 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 and it's like she slept with a satisfied smile on her face and stuff and I'm like what am I reading? I legit just wanted to find out the pH. All I did was ask you for a cheap bottle of wine, eh? Just like now we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about softcore porn during the Paris World Fair. Fair. Yeah, well, okay, well, okay. Like, no, no, I love it. I, I know. Like, 
So what's so that was that was your cheapy? That was my, and the most expensive. I can't answer because in Ontario, our wine selections there's new bottles that go through vintages every two weeks or so, and so not or so every two weeks, vintages gets a new. What's the most amount of money you spend on a bottle of wine for yourself? If you're having like a nice like you you're going out of your way to spend a little bit extra to treat yourself, what's the most you spend? I would say on average, uh, upwards of around 70, like, but I don't even have access to the bottles that are in their hundreds or thousands. Also, I'm not rich. So, um, okay, so, so what's the wine? Then? What's the so there's a couple of wines that I do have in my cellar. So I do have, and when I say cellar, I have a wine fridge where I store some wines and that they're intended to have like a 10 year minimum shelf, like cellaring time. Uh, some, some re like some returns for me. And it usually hits vintages around, I'm going to say late winter, early spring, I think, but there's a wine called Chateau Clark, which comes through. It's about 55 bucks. It came through, I think last March and I picked up half a case, but I'm not going to open it up for another five or 10 years. So yeah. So I dropped like 300 bucks on six bottles or something and I'll open it up in another 10 years. Um, and will you open those up for special occasions or just because you feel like drinking it? No, no. That's when I have like people that I love that are around me. My brother-in-law just had his birthday over the long weekend. My sister brought back a bottle. They were in Spain in she a couple of years ago. She brought back a, a bottle you can't get here from 2012. It was something called Cune. And uh, we had that for his his birthday. So yeah. So we have like great wines that I'll typically share with people who enjoy wine as much as I do. And then, then those are on the, those are all waiting for me. Okay. So let's hear the plugs. Wine sisters. Oh yeah. So what, what, what you want to hear where people can find me? Is that what where you want? Can find you, what you're promoting your work, what you're interested in people checking out. Okay. So our wine school, but our wine school, when does this air? It airs tomorrow. Probably. Oh, does it? Yeah. Tomorrow or. Yeah. Oh, that's a quick turnaround. Okay. So, all right. So join us for wine school. Um, at the time of this airing, we have, we just like any other school, we wrap at the end of June. We'll pick up again in September. We'll see what that looks like in person or virtual or a combination of both. Uh, we'd love it. If you join us for wine school, that happens on Tuesday nights um, right now, virtually you can get right now. If you take advantage of that, that's uh, June package is four classes for the price of three. Kyle, you'll be joining me for two of them, which will be terrific. I just found out, I just found out right now, guys, just like you. You did not. You yeah. knew that. And then we've also got, if you want to follow me, I'm on the wine. Uh, Instagram is where I'm the most. It's the wine sisters with underscores between the words. Uh, and then of course the YouTube channel, which is the wine sisters. Um, and if uh, wine school is in person, my food comes a long way, right? Is that it nice? does. So when we did do in-person events and we'll have to see how things unroll out for September, um, usually what would happen or historically what had happened, doors open, there's, there's a welcome wine with some a gorgeous cheese board that you and your team have put together that people help themselves to. Let's see what that looks like in the future. Uh, and then we do our wine lesson and then afterwards some food comes out Um We'll see what that looks like in the future. Yeah, I think the plan going right now for like boards like cheese platters is uh, we're going to buy a couple t-shirt cannons and I'm just going <laughs> to. That's, uh, that's brilliant. That's, that's super uh, classy, classy uh, bitch right there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, this was a no brainer for me, Aaron. Um, I knew I was going to ask you to come on. I knew you were going to say yes. Um, 
I know that you're super entertaining as well as you know. Um, so look how riveted Nate is. Nate's like, hey man, I'm playing with my dog. I'm loving it. Yeah. Yeah, no, thanks so much for like, I mean, this has been, you know, sixth episode, high energy, awesome jokes. Um, it was a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I hope I see you guys again. Oh, I'm sure that you can, you'll be a reoccurring person if me and Nate decide to keep doing this, uh, which I think we will. I'm having a good time. So yeah, for sure. You're going to be our hundredth episode. Okay. So just put it in your calendar now. Okay. Doing it. I'm going to mark down to have fresh earbuds for you. So (laughs) do it. Because uh, obviously my body's rejecting Sebs. Eric, <laughs> Eric, B and Rock, and we're gonna play us out. And Aaron, you can uh, you can take those earplugs out now. Thank God. Right, Good guys. night, everybody. Thanks uh, for listening. Goodbye yep. from Beyond the Pass. Vantage venues. Kyle McClure. Yeah. Yeah. Like as, lo- as long as I got like my uh, my. I don't even have any earwax in these. Terrific. <laughs> and we out of here. Yo, what happened to peace? Peace. 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 peace, peace. Ah!